Well, good morning, everyone. You doing well? Good. That's been a good morning of worship so far. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Michael Davies, and um, I've been coming to this church for a little while, and today it's my privilege to be able to bring you a message from God's Word. Now, last week, we started our series uh, in the book of Jonah, and Pastor Jeremy showed us that you can run, but you can't hide from God. And today, we're going to see why everybody needs a big fish in their life. And so uh, let's start off with a recap. Uh, let's, because uh, Jonah is a narrative, it's a story, it's an amazing story, uh, let's just recap what we've learned so far. Uh, so Jonah starts off with uh, Jonah being spoken to by God to go and preach repentance at Nineveh. God wants the Ninevites to turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. Well, instead of going to Nineveh over here, Jonah decides that he's going to go to Tarshish, over this way. So he makes his way down to the port city of Joppa, and he jumps on a ship, and he heads off in the opposite direction to what God wants. He's actually running away from God. But God doesn't let him get away with it. Uh, God sends this huge storm. It is so massive that the sailors freak out, and they cry out to whatever God they believe in to save them. Well, where's Jonah while this is happening? Well, he's sound asleep in the hold of the ship, hiding amongst the cargo. And so the sailors, you know, the, the sailors are panicking. So they're taking all the cargo and throwing it over, overboard, and all of a sudden, what's this guy? What are you doing, Jonah? Why are you sound asleep? We're all going to die. And then it all comes out. Jonah spills the beans. Jonah turns around and he says, yeah, um, yeah I'm not going to cry out to my God. Uh, because I'm an Israelite, um, and I believe in the, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and uh, he's asked me to do something, and I'm running away from him. And the sailors are like, you're crazy, come on, help, pray, ask, we're all going to die. And Jonah says, well, if you want to survive, this is what you need to do. You need to pick me up and throw me overboard. Now, you think about these sailors, how are these sailors going to cope with that, right? So they've just found out that they're in this supernatural storm. And they're crying out to their gods, whatever they believe in, to try to save them. And Jonah says, the way out of this problem is to pick me up and throw me overboard as well. The sailors must have been thinking to themselves, hang on a minute, God is already annoyed. He's annoyed at you for not obeying. How much more are they going to be annoyed if, they throw, if we throw Jonah overboard and he dies? So they don't want to do that. So what they do is they, we're going to take things into our own hands. We are going to row harder. So they start rowing the ship. They must have, they must have had oars out the side of the ship, and they were rowing hard, trying to get to land. But what does God do? Well, he turns up the dial. You know, it might have been a storm level 8. Now it's a storm level 11. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the ship's being tossed to and fro. The sailors are running around the ship with our Kermit flappy arms. Ah, we're going to die! They don't know what to do. But as that storm gets more ferocious, they decide to actually do what Jonah has said. Said, Lord, you know, said, God, please don't judge us for this. So they pick up Jonah, throw him into the ocean. And just like Jonah said, what happens? All of a sudden, God grabs the knob, not storm level 11, all the way back to storm level zero. The sea is calm and flat. And so the sailors in the ship, they continue sailing off to Tarshish. But Jonah, he's bobbing up and down in the water. 
And that's where Pastor Jeremy left us last week. He left us on the cliffhanger. What is going to happen to Jonah? Well, of course, uh, most of us would have read the book of Jonah uh, before, and uh, you've even heard Tony read the last verse of chapter one. It actually just says it quite matter-of-factly. Oh, and God appoints a big fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, what a whale of a tale. Uh, you know, if, if this was not in God's word, if we had watched this in a movie, or we'd read it in a newspaper, there is, or read it on news.com.au or whatever, we would not believe that this was true. But we can believe it's true, because it's here in God's word. And because it's in God's word, we know that, that it is historical, it is factual, and it is accurate. Well, let's pray and ask God to be with us this morning, hey? Father, I just want to say thank you uh, for the fact that we've even had the opportunity of opening your word this morning and even just reading it. It is an amazing story that we find here in your word, but we know it's the truth. And we know, Lord, that you've included this truth for our benefit. As you say in 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written down for our instruction on whom the, ages, whom the end of the ages has come. You want us to learn from your word and the example that we find here in this book of Jonah. And so, Father, we want to pray that you would grant us to have ears that are open to hear from you, that we would have hearts that are ready to accept a message from you, God. Lord, I don't want it to be my words that come across. I want it to be your words spoken through me. Uh, Lord, I want you to receive the glory, and I want you to change people's hearts, and I want you to change my heart, because I need to hear this message as much as anyone else. And so I bring these things to you and pray them in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, today we're looking into Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 is actually quite amazing. Now that I've given you the background about what happened in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah 2 is really interesting. Because at one end, at Jonah chapter 1, in the last verse, God appoints a big fish to swallow Jonah. At the other end, at the end of Jonah chapter 2, we read that uh, God speaks to the big fish, and the big fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. So in the fish, out of the fish. And there's no one else involved here in Jonah chapter 2. It's just Jonah. There's no, other, there's no other people involved. It's just Jonah. And what we're actually doing is we're finding out what's going on inside Jonah's head, what he's praying to God, what he's thinking about, and uh, what the lessons that God is teaching him. So it's actually a really interesting place to be, Jonah chapter 2. Well, when you get um, a story like this, which is a whale of a tale, um, it's important, that, it's important that a good way of starting is that we might ask some questions, uh, and then we can try to unpack the story a bit more. So the first question I've got for you is the big fish. What would it have been like inside the big fish? Has anyone here been swallowed by a big fish before? Any hands? No? Oh, we got, no, no, maybe, maybe. Um, maybe, a bit, maybe you swallowed a big fish, I don't know. Um, but let's think about it for a moment. Um, being swallowed by a big fish would not have been like a Disney Pixar movie. Uh, Jonah wouldn't have had a chair and a table and a kerosene lamp that he could light, and he wouldn't be pacing back and forth going, oh God, what am I going to do now? That's not what it would have been like. you imagine the size of that fish? It would not have been like the picture that we have up there now. No matter how big the fish was that swallowed Jonah, there is no way that Jonah would have had room to walk around. And I mean, if you look at the, the biggest um, uh, sea creatures we have today, uh, the biggest whale, it's nowhere near that size. And so there's no way that this fish was so big. 
So if it wasn't like a big cavern, what would it actually have been like? Now, have you ever been camping and it's one of those really cold nights and you're really uncomfortable and uh, you're in the sleeping bag and then it's time to get up in the morning and then you realise the, the sleeping bag zip is stuck and you can't get out. You're kind of stuck in the sleeping bag. You sort of ah, oh, come on, let me get out. I reckon it probably would have been a little bit more like that. It might have been like this picture here that you're about to see on the screen. Uh, Jonah would have been probably doubled over or he might have been lying down. Uh, and it wouldn't have been comfortable, would it? It would have been cramped, it would have been squishy, would have been wet, it would have been dark. Now, I'll ask you this question. What else do you reckon was inside the big fish with Jonah? Seaweed. There might have been seaweed, seagrass. In fact, whatever big fish eat was inside the stomach with Jonah. Probably small, half-digested fish. It, and I guess I'm not trying to gross you out, but I'm trying to say it wouldn't have been a very comfortable experience. He wouldn't have enjoyed being in there, despite the fact that he was the first person to ever be swallowed by fish. Um, it would not have been a wonderful experience. But here's the thing. What I'm going to say to you this morning is that I reckon we all need a big fish experience like Jonah. We need to have that experience ourselves. And I know you think that's crazy, but I'm going to hopefully explain it to you in a little while. Let's move to the next question. Uh, why did Jonah disobey God? Why did Jonah disobey God? Well, let's think back to the story, how uh, it began. God told Jonah to go and preach repentance to the Ninevites. Now, you know that repentance is actually a very common theme in God's word. Every Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, the disciples, the 70 that were sent out, Peter, Paul, and in fact, Jesus, they all brought messages of repentance. You see, repentance isn't an optional extra in the Christian life. It's not like going to McDonald's and having the server ask you, would you like fries with that? You can't become a Christian without repenting, and you can't grow in the Christian life without repenting. Repentance is actually part of faith. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Now, don't worry, that's the last Greek word you're going to hear today. Um, but it's important because it, it, it gives us a bit of an insight into what the meaning of repentance is. Uh, repentance is a transformative change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a reversal of my thinking. It's a U-turn. I was heading in one direction, and I realized I was going in the wrong direction. I stop, I turn around, and then I head back in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. Now, Imagine if God asked you to do something specifically. Now, imagine that you're lying in bed one night and you have this vivid dream and it is unmistakable that God is speaking to you. Now, it's not that late night bad pizza talking. It's clearly God speaking because it, it's consistent with his word. It's, as, it's like in 5K television. And uh, what he says to you is this. He says, go and call the people of Nineveh to repent. Do you reckon that God was telling you this because it was optional. Uh, when God says to go and do something, he's not asking for us to do it only if we feel like it. He's looking for our obedience. Should we respond with, yeah, Tuesday doesn't really work out for me, I can fit you in in a couple of weeks' time? No, we wouldn't do that. Because if God told you to do something and you were convinced it was God speaking, you'd do it. You would understand that God wanted it done and he wanted you to do it. So back to the original question, why didn't Jonah obey God? 
It's not like this was all new to Jonah. It's not like he didn't have any experience of God before. Jonah was an Israelite. He came from the tribe of Zebulun. He was brought up to believe in God and to obey God. He would have grown up learning and hearing all the stories about the Old Testament, Old Testament saints and how they obeyed God. Why then do you reckon that Jonah thought he didn't have to obey? I mean, last week we had Jonah chapter 1 and Tony read out for us Jonah chapter 2 already. And one thing is sure, that throughout the, those first two books, there's no, no hint that Jonah ever abandons his faith. He still believes in God. He still has faith in God. He just didn't want to obey. Why is that? Well, I think the most likely reason is that Jonah thought he knew better than God. Jonah had developed his own worldview, his own theology, his own way of thinking. Jonah had developed his own set of priorities, what he thought was important. What Jonah thought was important was more important than what God thought. And sure, Jonah probably wanted to still please God. He probably wanted to serve God, but he wanted to do it his own way. And to be honest, I think we often find ourselves in that same place. We want God in our lives, we're Christians after all, but only if it's going to benefit me. Now, I don't know whether you remember a movie from 22 years ago, and it's hard to imagine it was 22 years ago, but do you remember The Matrix? Um, phenomenal movie uh, for those who are younger um, and haven't seen it, should see it. Um, but there was a character in there called Agent Smith, and uh, at one point in time, he, he, uh, they have a camera close up on him, and he says, me, me, me. It all has to be on my terms. It can't inconvenience me or disrupt the plans I have for me and my family. Sure, I'll do it, but I'll do it my way. Now, in two weeks' time, uh, Pastor Graham is going to be finishing off our Jonah series, and he's probably going to be looking into uh, Jonah's motivation a little bit. And uh, I don't want to steal his thunder, but uh, the simple answer as to why Jonah didn't obey God's command to go and preach repentance to the Ninevites is because there was a gap. There was a gap between what God asked and there was a gap between what Jonah was prepared to do, what he thought was good and right and acceptable. There was a gap. It wasn't like this. He, it was like this. All right, next question. Why the big fish? So why does God appoint a big fish to swallow Jonah? Well, here's the, uh, here I want to tell you a little story about my kids. Um, when... Uh, when my kids were little, we used to wrestle a lot on the mat. And um, that was, that's, a, that's the thing that dads do with kids, right? You have a nice, uh, fun time wrestling. And uh, of course, I wouldn't do that now, because all three boys are now bigger than me, and they would, uh, they would thrash me, and uh, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, but when they were little, I, I could beat them at wrestling. And um, what was great is that you know, you'd have so much fun. But the time would come when it was time to say, you know what, uh, no more wrestling. And, and which toddler ever says, no, that's okay, Dad, I'll stop now? No, they want to keep on going. They just want to keep on wrestling with you. And so you get to the point where you, um, I remember with one of my sons, I remember picking them up and, and giving them a hug, just a hug so they couldn't move. And then they're still kicking their legs, so then I put my leg across their legs. And like, I pin them tight. They can't go anywhere. And, uh, and I remember one of my sons, him, him going, struggle, struggle. Struggle, struggle. He was, he was trying to get out, and he only, they're the only words that he had to use uh, to explain what was going on. Uh, he was, um, 
My son was pinned down. And you know, Jonah needed to be pinned down in the same way so that he couldn't move, so that he would stop striving. Jonah needed to recognize that he had to surrender to God. His thinking needed to change. He needed to have his thinking realigned with God's. And you know what? It actually took three days for Jonah to get to that place. That's what Jonah was doing with the big fish. God was disciplining Jonah. He was correcting Jonah. He was getting Jonah back on the right path. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Because we are God's children, we need God's discipline to correct us when we head in the wrong direction. God's discipline for the Christian is never punitive, but corrective. God loves us and wants us to get to a place where we are living in obedience and where we can flourish. But Jonah was not in that place. He needed to be pinned down so he couldn't run away so he would come to that place. And you know what's ironic? It's ironic that Jonah was called to give a message of repentance, but Jonah himself needed to repent. It's pretty, um, it's pretty much like us, isn't it? Often the thing that God asks us to do, we need to do first. And, um, and that's what the story of Jonah is all about. He needed to come to a place of repentance. Well, we're now going to look at like a recipe for repentance straight out of Jonah chapter 2. So uh, there's three points uh, to the recipe of repentance. And the first one is calling out to God. And we see that there in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're just going to go through it now. It says there uh, that Jonah calls out to God. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now that's the first step of repentance, calling out to God in faith, not looking for help from any other place, not trying to solve your problems by your own skill, by manipulation, or using your network. When we are in distress, when we can see that there is nowhere else to go, we cry out to God, believing that he hears us and he will answer us. Even though we feel alone, God is there with us, waiting to hear from us. That's the first point, calling out to God. The second one is realigning our thinking, and we see that here in verses 3 to 6 of Jonah chapter 2. That says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You see, in verses 3 and 5 there, Jonah acknowledges the trial he is in. He doesn't try to minimize it. He doesn't try to ignore it. But he right-sizes his predicament. 
God know, sorry, um, Jonah knows exactly why he's there in the fish. And despite being in all sorts of trouble, he verbalizes hope in verse 4 that he will indeed get back to the temple and worship. You see, Jonah believes that God is good and will accept him back. He sees God's hand in all of this. You see, we often have to have every escape path cut off before we turn back to God. When there is any opportunity for us to find another way, we do it because we don't want to humble ourselves. Our hearts are full of pride. But you know, when we come to that place, we, are see, we see our circumstances very differently. Instead of seeing uh, his ordeal with the sailors on the ship, his time in the ocean, and being swallowed by a fish as negatives, Jonah sees God's hand at work through them. He sees God being in control all the time, and he comes to this place of thankfulness. In Ephesians 5.20, it says this, giving thanks always and for everything. That's how you know that you've repented, when you are thankful for the trial God used to correct you. We see it elsewhere in the Bible, Jacob in Genesis 32. Don't know whether you remember that story. It's where Jacob wrestles with God. And, uh, and how does it end? It's the same sort of way as, as, um, as what we read here. Uh, God actually touches Jacob's hip socket. And because of that, Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. It's a constant reminder that he wrestled with God, but his life was changed as a result. Jonah's attitude towards God has done a 180-degree turn. He's now thankful, obedient, and acknowledging that God is in control. It's so different to the Jonah that we find in Jonah chapter 1, who when God asks him to do something, it's like, I'm out of here. Right now, he's thankful, obedient, and acknowledging that God is in control. It continues on in, in verse 7 of Jonah 2. It says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. When there was nowhere else to turn, Jonah makes the choice to turn back to God. And that's the best advice that I can give you for your life. Turn back to God. God is good. He is merciful and kind, and he can be trusted. We should take to heart what it says in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 12. It says this, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God is longing for those who need to repent, who decide to choose to change their mind and to come back to him. So, so far in the recipe of repentance, we've had calling out to God, we've talked about realigning our thinking, and now we have making restitution. And to do that, let's look at the last uh, three verses there, Jonah 2, 8 to 10. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you. I, what I vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So when you repent, when you change your mind, you come to this place where you're thankful for what God has done. It may have been uncomfortable, it might have hurt, but it has turned your thinking around. And once you've changed your thinking, you agree to do what God has told you to do. It no longer grates. There's no resistance. You've surrendered. You're thankful. You make restitution for your disobedience. Acts 20, 26 talks about bringing forth fruits of repentance. In Jonah's case, bringing forth fruits of repentance mean, meant going and, and doing what God had asked him to do. But you know, if we are repent of something, if, if, if you need to repent of the sin of stealing, for example, you would go and give it back, or you would pay for it. If you, um, if you slandered someone, 
you would go to that person and apologize. You would make restitution, whatever the appropriate restitution is, uh, for the sin that you've committed. So um, we've now got this bit of a recipe uh, for repentance in Jonah chapter 2, calling out to God, realigning our thinking, and making restitution. Well, if it's that simple, why don't we just wake up one morning and go, I've decided today I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my life around. It doesn't work like that, does it? And the reason is, is because if repentance was easy, everyone would be doing it. I want to give you a couple of reasons why we don't repent, some reasons why we don't repent. The first one is that repentance is hard. Uh, Why? Because changing our mind is never easy. We have these patterns of thinking that are inset, and it's really hard to break out of those. And why is that? Because our pride often gets in the way. We don't change our mind on things. Once our mind is set, we typically stay the course because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Our pride is too important to us. Now, there's a Hillsong uh, song that we used to sing years ago, uh, and it was titled, I Will Never Be the Same Again. Uh, And we used to sing it years ago. uh, And it captures the idea of repentance perfectly. Now, don't worry, uh, I'm not going to sing. And uh, I don't have Pastor Vincent here. He's over in the Chinese church right now. uh, So I can't bring him up on stage. But I'm just going to read the words to you. And I just want you to listen uh, and see if you can really capture the spirit of repentance. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path, I'll run the race, and I will never be the same again. Fall like fire, soak like rain, flow like mighty waters again and again. Sweep away the darkness, burn away the chaff, and let a flame burn to glorify your name. See, when we repent, we change our thinking forever. We don't change our thinking for today, and tomorrow, and maybe for the, for the rest of the week, when we repent, we actually say, I have deviated from God. I'm not going back there again. I want to change. And you know what? There is still grace, you know, because we do sometimes fall back into old patterns of thinking. But repentance isn't about making a, a short-term uh, change. It's ma- making a long-term change. It's a choice to permanently set our minds on a new path. So, first reason, repentance is hard. But you know, also, repentance is a gift. Repentance is actually a gift from God. 2 Timothy 2.25 says this, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We should treasure the fact that God allows us to repent. Scripture tells us that God will not always strive with us. We should not take the ability to repent for granted. It's recorded for us as an example given for us of this. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12, where Esau couldn't obtain repentance even though he sought it with tears. You imagine this. Here's this fully grown, outdoorsy man. You know, he's probably got a German shepherd next to him and he's holding a rifle or a whip or something. And he's hairy. He's this big, strong hunter type. And he's bawling his eyes out. But he never found repentance. And why is that? It's because he loved his sin too much. He could only find worldly sorrow. He couldn't find repentance. He loved his sin too much. Given the choice of my sin or God, I'll go to my sin. 
And that's what Esau did. And just in case you think I'm making it up or reading too much into that passage, he's not the only one. There's plenty of other examples. You think of King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, after he sacrificed incorrectly. When, when he was confronted by Samuel, his repentance was found to be shallow, and God rejected him. There's no guarantee that repentance is going to be available for you forever. So if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, don't resist. We think to ourselves that we can come back to God whenever we choose to, but that's not the case. Today may be your chance. The next question I have for you is, what about you? What about you? Is there sin in your life that you need to repent of? You know, the place that I go to when I'm like this, when I find myself in this place, is I go to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Now, it won't be up on the screen, so you'll have to listen. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you're serious about this, if you actually want to see a change in your life, then this is what I suggest you do. Uh, sometime uh, today, or maybe tomorrow, get yourself a piece of paper and a pen, and get some time alone with God. Ask God to show you your sins, the sins that are sitting back here in your blind spot, the ones that you can't really see. Because we've all got blind spots, haven't we? We've all got things that other people can see in us, but we don't see in ourselves. And once you've got the paper, and you've got a pen, and you've asked God to show you your sin, and you're sincere, don't worry, God will make it clear to you. God will point out to you those areas of your life that really need to change. And then we follow the, the, um, the recipe for repentance. We call out to God for forgiveness. We realign our thinking. We actually repent of the sin. And then we make restitution. We go and do what we should do. Either obedience or putting something right, but we make restitution. I'm just going to say a couple of things, um, things that you may want to think about uh, considering whether it applies to your life. You know, are you watching things on your phone that you shouldn't be? Are you just scrolling through and clearing your browser history? No one's going to know. God knows. Are you being selfish? Do you put yourself first? Would your family say that you are the kind of person who puts yourself first? Maybe you steal. Maybe you steal time from your boss, or maybe you steal from the shops, or maybe you steal from your family members. Maybe you find satisfaction in food instead of finding satisfaction in God and it's become an issue of gluttony for you. Maybe you're rebelling against authority. We've all got authority structures over us, both in our family, in school, at work, and even in the church. Are you rebelling against authority? Because if you are, you can repent of that and you can come back to God. You see, God loves you. He loves you so much that he isn't willing to let you continue to live your life in unrepentant sin. God has provided a way in Jesus Christ. He died on a cross in your place. We talked about that this morning with, um, with Tony. He uh, led us around the Lord's table. And sure, Jesus died on the cross for our salvation, but he also died on the cross for our sanctification. 
He died on the cross so you would be changed in the Christian life that you are now living. The gospel impacts us today, how we live the Christian life. So I want to say, James chapter 4 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Don't be arrogant or stubborn. Stop opposing God. Surrender. Because if you do, please know that there will be rivers of grace that will flow into your life. But only if you change. Psalm 84 says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Jonah disobeyed, and then he hardened his heart, and it resulted in God bringing in the big guns, or should I say, the big fish. And God will do the same with you. He'll reach into his tool bag, and he'll bring out a bigger and heavier tool if you keep resisting him, if you keep pushing him away, and you ignore the Holy Spirit prompting you. But as we talked about earlier, there is a limit to how far God will go. At some point of time, God will say, enough is enough. The time to repent is now. So today, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that is the good news that we can learn from Jonah's experience. Once Jonah made a U-turn, everything changed. He was accepted by God. His attitude changed because his heart had been changed. He was thankful to God even though he would have been covered with rotting fish when he was vomited up onto the beach. He would have ended up being thankful for the big fish because God used the big fish to change him. I think we all need a big fish in our lives sometimes. We need God to take drastic steps to bring us back to himself because we so easily stray. And that is a reminder to us about how much God loves us. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't go to such great lengths to bring us back to himself. So I want to ask you today, one final time, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from surrendering? God is waiting with open arms to take you back. He loves you. Don't resist him anymore. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you for your word. I want to say thank you that you are such a loving and merciful God. It's not like there's one strike and we're out. We all make mistakes. We all let you down. We all sin. We sin against you and we sin against one another. And yet you provide forgiveness for us through Jesus. God, I know that you love us and you want to draw us back to yourself. I pray, Lord, that we would have hearts that are soft so that we can repent of our sin and turn back to you so that you don't have to keep amping up the pressure to make things so that we've got nowhere else to go, that we've got nowhere else we can turn. So God, I pray, help us to make that time to get alone with you. Please show us where we need to change. And please give us the conviction of heart to follow through with what you ask us to do. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.